We'll open up to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And as you're finding that, I want to share a little bit of history with you. There was a priest in a town in Russia that had a a strategy to get young kids, especially some of the poorer kids in the community, to come to church. And he decided if he would offer them candy at the end of church and promise them, if you come, you will get candy, that he would get more kids to come to church. And guess what? It worked. And kids came to church. One child in particular, a young boy, loved to come, and he became very, very faithful at attending church, and every day would take the candy, go home, and eat it. Well, the priest took a liking to this boy. He saw a great promise in him, and he talked the young child into becoming part of the day-to-day school that they had there at the church. And the priest thought this candy program was so well received that he began all sorts of rewards for the children. Everything that they did, they would get a reward. In fact, so much so that this young boy won a prize for memorizing all four Gospels word for word. Now, I, I can't do that. I'll just be honest with you. I was a Bible quizzer. I, I think I did pretty well at memorizing Scripture, but all four Gospels word for word, that's a lot. I assume he received a lot of candy for it. I'm not sure. But you know, 60 years later or so, the priest, I think, would have been appalled at what this boy did with what he learned. You see, the name of this boy was Nikita Khrushchev. And he would later on declare that God does not exist. And the very passages that he learned in order to get candy as a child, he would use to prove that there is no God. And when the Russian cosmonaut went into outer space, Khrushchev would declare, God does not exist. Now, why do I tell you this story? To get you to quit giving candy to your kids? No, that's just a byproduct. But it's because truth must change us. Truth that is received for its own sake or truth that is received for some external reward that isn't received with an honest and pure heart with an intention of this changes my life is not real truth. It doesn't invade the soul and change us from the inside out. We've been speaking about wisdom. And all along I've talked about wisdom in motion, wisdom in action, where the rubber meets the road. We've got to take God's eternal truth and apply it to our hearts. And today we're going to speak about wisdom and change. What does it mean to be changed by wisdom? Because I'll tell you, especially as a former seminary student, as a pastor, as somebody who loves to read, debate, discuss theology. I'm I'm going to lead us in this discussion on John Piper's book. I love those sort of discussions. But there is a huge danger that God's wisdom, theology, Scripture, becomes merely a, a point of debate, which for us as adults is sort of like candy. Oh, we love to discuss and show how much more we know than somebody else. And we need to remember, wisdom must change us. Wisdom properly understood will change us. 
to receive, accept, learn God's wisdom and walk away unchanged is to not truly understand the wisdom that we have learned. And so we're going to look at this change that wisdom causes in us by looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this and just set it before us. I'm reading out of the NIV. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Change. Do you see it there? Be changed. Be transformed. Let's look first at the cause of this change. There's one word in this first verse that is probably the most important word in this verse and possibly the most important word in all of the rest of Romans from 12 on. And it is the word, therefore. Therefore. Because what Paul is doing is he's taking everything he said prior to this and he's bringing it in and he's applying it. And he's saying, now, because of all of this and because it is true, something has to change. There must be an impact on our lives. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Christianity is a lifestyle. Christianity involves actions. Christianity involves obedience. It involves things that we do in our day-to-day life because of who God is. But all of that must be based on truth. It stands on truth. It is rooted in truth. It's interesting today, I think our world really values strong belief. I think our world values convictions. But the moment you say your conviction is somehow based upon truth is the moment the world rejects you. The world loves conviction based on choice and preference and ideas and your truth is good and your truth is good and you can have your conviction and your firmly held beliefs but the moment you say, wait a minute, there is a truth, one truth, it's the moment the world says, oh, you're too narrow-minded. I don't accept your truth. The irony of the call that we are narrow-minded from a world that cannot accept the truth of God. Christianity is a worldview based upon truth. It is not merely a set of steps to take to be obedient to Christ. It is not merely a way to live our lives. It is based, as this word says, therefore, it is based on something. It is based upon what God has done. And to make this strong, Paul says, therefore, I urge you. This is a very strong, strong word. Paul's saying, don't miss this. He's just spent 11 chapters digging into some of the deepest theology in all of Scripture, digging into the Gospel, digging into the righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ, God's eternal plan. And he digs into all of that, and then he says, now I urge you, because all of this is so true, it's got to change you. Live in light of the truth of God. So what are these mercies that he's speaking of? when he says, in view of God's mercies. It's all of Romans chapters 1 through 11. The entirety of how Paul is laying out the gospel, 
a gospel that has an intention. Look at Romans chapter 15 for a second. Because Paul kind of sums some of this up in Romans 15, 8 and 9. Paul says, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. There's God's intention in everything that He's done. Why does God give us mercy? Why did He send Jesus Christ? So that we might bring glory to God. This is God's plan for each and every person. Turn back to Romans chapter 1. Let's just go through quickly some of these mercies that Paul talks about that are for God's glory. In Romans 1 verses 16 and 17, he gives us an overview of all of Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So Paul starts off and says, God's wisdom is God's plan to make us righteous. God had a plan, even when Adam and Eve sinned, and became unrighteous, unright in his sight. God said, I'm not going to let you go. I made you for my glory. And so he instituted a plan. That plan is summed up in the gospel, the good news that God sent his son to die for us on the cross. And Paul's going to spend the next 11 and a half chapters or so looking at what this gospel is and what it means. Look at Romans 3.23. He digs into our problem. Our problem is that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. You see, mercy means something because it is so desperately needed. If our need wasn't deep, then God's mercy is no big deal. If you need a, a stick of gum and you go up to a stranger and say, hey, do you have some gum? And, and they go, yeah, sure, here's some gum. You, just, you don't say, oh my goodness, thank you so much for your profound mercy. It's just a stick of gum. It's no big deal. But when we are dead and lost in sin, and God meets that greatest need, that is a profound mercy. Look back at Romans 3, 10 through 12. Paul here quotes out of the Old Testament, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways in the way of peace. They do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's a bleak picture. That's a bleak picture of humanity that has turned its back on their creator, our creator, and said, we don't need you. And then runs hard in this newfound direction of supposed freedom from God, this newfound direction that we say, this will bring fulfillment, this will bring happiness. We have turned away. And then look down at verse 20. Therefore, 
No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Paul says it very clearly. Our situation is this. We are utterly sinful, utterly lost, and there is nothing we can do to change that situation. There's no coming back for us. There's no five-step, 12-step, one-million-step program that will bring us back to rightness with God. That is our situation, and that is why we so desperately need, and God so graciously gives, mercy. Mercy. Look at Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. There's God's wisdom at work. There's kind of the heart and soul of what the therefore of Romans 12.1 is referring to. Look at our desperate situation and how God has rescued us from it. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on through several chapters to talk about how this was God's plan all along. He goes into Romans chapter 8 and he talks about this sustaining wisdom, this ongoing sustenance that we have in Jesus Christ. Look at Romans 8, 31 through 39. And I got to tell you, if you're ever struggling in depression, forever going through a really hard time, run to a passage like Romans 8, especially 31 through 39. What shall we say? What What then shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at the powerful wisdom of God at work. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel, that if you're a Christian, you have said, I believe in the gospel, the good news, the great news that Paul is talking about here, the depths of God's plan for us in Jesus Christ, that we are saved. That that lost, 
absolute hopeless, helpless sinner that lived in rebellion against God, that person's gone. That's not who you are. You're saved in Jesus Christ. Not only that, but Christ is holding on to you. He's right now working actively on your behalf as we navigate the hard, difficult waters of this sinful world. And when we get scared, we hear the truth of the message. He's holding us firm. It's God's sustaining wisdom. So when we look back at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we read, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, Paul is saying, listen, know the truth of all of this. Go deep into that truth. But then don't just stop there. Allow that truth to change you. This truth has a powerful effect on our lives. Let's look at that effect as we look at the change that he speaks about. In view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. He says, look, because all of this is true, how God has saved you in Jesus Christ, how He is sustaining you, now this is how you are to live. You are not yourself. See, that's kind of the nature of a sacrifice. A sacrifice was offered up completely and totally on behalf of somebody else. It was consumed. It was put on the altar and either utterly consumed by the fire in some cases or partially consumed and then consumed in other ways as people sat around a table and ate. But either way, the sacrifice itself was done. It didn't go on and say, oh, that was a great day. Let's get up today, tomorrow and do it again. The sacrifice was consumed. And Paul is pointing to this absolute, complete, total surrender and applying it to us. He's saying, because this profound truth is true, you are to completely surrender your life. And he points to something I think would have been such a vivid picture for them. But then he says that your life is not just a sacrifice, it's a living sacrifice. So today, constantly surrender to the Lord. Tomorrow, when you wake up, constantly surrender to the Lord. The sacrifice that they altered, or that they offered in the, the tabernacle in the temple, it, it could not have at one point lifted its head and said, Yeah, I don't want to do this, I'm out of here. That wouldn't have happened. But we are different. We need to remind ourselves in an ongoing manner, because all of this is true, today I will live my life as a sacrifice to the Lord. I will give everything to Him. And He says this is your true and proper, or some translations have spiritual act of worship. Do you want to bring glory to God? I don't know a Christian in the world that would say no to that. I hope there isn't a Christian in the world that would say, no, I I really, no, I I, I don't really want to bring glory to God. And so we, we talk about and we think about and we pray, how can I serve God? What can I do for Him? What, what can I do for His kingdom? What amazing things can I do that will bring His kingdom and save people and do all these amazing things for the glory of God? And God says, look, you really truly want to bring me glory. Live your life as a sacrifice. God doesn't need us to do anything. Anything. He desires for us to worship Him. Now, that worship will lead to doing. Don't get me wrong. 
Evangelism, service, obedience, serving in the church, serving outside the church, parenting our children, our jobs, all of those are things that we can do for God's glory, but it has to start with a mindset of living for that glory, living in surrender. Too often I think we take something like a sermon or a Sunday school or a devotional time and, and we take this truth and we great God, thanks, I've got it, and then we run with it. I'm going to go do this with what you just taught me. I've got this great idea and this is wonderful. And God's saying, um, wait a minute, what about me? What about your relationship with me? And we crawl down off the altar and we go do what we think is amazing for God. And then he says, no, come back. Come back. I just want you to live for me. Live a life of worship. This life of worship must be a life that is not conformed to the pattern of this world. Christians, what we believe is out of sync with the truths that this world holds and will always be and has always been. Christians that look back on the good old days of the way our culture was fail to understand the depths of this passage right here. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. This world has never been and will never be until Jesus Christ returns a Christian world. Because it's filled with sinners like you and like me. And our ways of thinking are messed up. And so we have to hear the call, do not be conformed. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. That verse right there is terrifying. It means anything that we consider normal, natural, common sense, the way we do it, we have to stop and say, wait a minute, am I living in light of God's mercies, God's truth, or am I living in light of the way this world thinks? There's a pattern of this world that Paul explains in Romans 1, 18 through 32. You don't have to turn there. But he, he lays out this pattern of sin. That people turn away from glorifying God. They, They cease knowing Him. They don't want to bring glory to Him. They exchange God's wisdom for their own. They go deeper and deeper into sin, redefining right and wrong. And then Romans 1.32 says, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's the pattern of this world. Sin changes us too. Just as God's wisdom should change us, sin also changes us, but it's much more subtle and we don't even see it happening. And all along the way, it feels very normal and natural and right. Until the Word of God comes and says, look how far you've fallen. And then we don't want to hear it, do we? Because we are approving of the very wrong things that the world is doing. And I think we see this in our society today. We are beginning to approve things that God clearly says is wrong. And we're celebrating people that approve things that God says is wrong. Now listen, Christians, it is not our job to yell and scream at those people, oh, you're horrible, awful sinners. Because we're all horrible, awful sinners. But it is our role to not conform and to say, look, I can't say that that's good. I can't say that that's right because God's word says otherwise. And I have to be conformed to that. God's wisdom is and always will be foolishness 
to this world. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 25 of the same chapter, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. There is a pattern to this world that is infected by sin. Always will be. No matter how much that world seems to line up with our ideals, apart from Jesus Christ, it is always infected and influenced by sin. And I don't say that to say, look, just just pack up and go live in the hills somewhere and forget this world. I say that to say, therefore, in view of God's mercy, not only do we need to receive the gospel, but the world needs to see it and hear it from our lips and see it in our hands and our feet. The world needs Jesus. So we need to not conform, but then we need to be transformed. God's wisdom changes us. As we begin to accept what God says and the truthfulness of what God says, it contradicts and challenges a lot of the things that we hold on to so dear. And we have to ask ourselves in that moment, will I be changed, transformed by that truth? Or am I going to hold on to my understanding and my opinion and instead transform and change God's truth? Because I got to tell you, that's a lot easier to do. It's a lot easier to change what God says than it is to allow God's, what God says to change us. We need to be changed by the truth of God. But the truth of the gospel is that we are changed. We don't make ourselves different. The gospel makes us different. We cling to and run to the gospel, and the gospel does this change in our lives. Now let's look at the results of this change. Verse At the end of verse 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Just like the, the therefore stands out in verse 1, this then stands out in verse 2 in a powerful way. Because I always want to know things in advance. If I'm going to go on a trip, I want to know the path. I want to know where we're going to stay. I want to know the cost. I want to have it all laid out. When I'm doing a project, as as I've been sharing, I love doing woodworking. I, I draw up my plans. I want to know the dimensions of everything, how it's all going to go together. I want to know in advance before I start. Because if it's not going to work out, I'm not going to do it. This word, then, we have to understand where it takes place. What Paul is saying is, it is not prior to accepting the gospel that we will see the greatness of all of God's wisdom. It is after accepting the gospel and living in the gospel and being changed by the gospel that then we will begin to see the greatness of God's wisdom. Do you see that? And do you understand the problem with that? See, I have a problem with that. I want to be fully convinced and have all my questions answered before I ever follow Christ anyway. Anywhere. That's how I work. That's not how God works. God says, come on, follow me. Well, where are we going? Uh, You'll see. What are we going to do? You'll see. How's it all going to work out? You'll see. 
Because the call that God makes to us is not about all the little steps and all the little plans along the way. It's about the one who is along the way with us. Sometimes the only goodness that we can see in God's plan is that it is God's plan. And we're trusting Him. Certainly there is evidence and reason in Scripture. I'm not discounting that. Christian faith is is not without any evidence. There are truths in Scripture that science has proven, history has proven. Those things are good to look at. But if we think we're going to have all of our questions answered before we can follow God, we will never move a step. Because there are some things that are only tested and approved, only seen to be correct along the way. And that's what this means, testing and approving. It's not in the sense of trying God out. Paul's not inviting us, hey, just try God. Let's see how this works out. He's saying along the way, as you trust in God and you follow Him, you will be a living, breathing testimony, an example, an experiment that others are looking at and say, wow, I see how God's working in your life. You are a proof. That's what he's talking about. But we will experience that and see that along the way. Seeing the rightness of God's wisdom so often only happens as we allow God to change us along the way. So I want to challenge you. If you're here today and and you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ maybe a year ago or a hundred years ago, probably not a hundred years ago, but I don't know, for a really long time, but it's not impacting your life. There's no change there. I want to encourage you. Hear the words of Paul. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Wake up tomorrow and say, I'm living for Jesus Christ, not for myself anymore. And then dig deep because the next question is going to be, what in the world does that look like? And there's where we go deep into God's wisdom. And we study and we read and we challenge one another. And as we do that, we will be changed. The gospel always changes us. It's that kind of a truth. It's a message that when correctly understood will never leave the hearer and the believer unchanged. So if you're struggling in your life right now and you're not seeing that change going on and we all go through those times, gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. Dig deep into the truthfulness of the gospel. So often when we go through those dry periods, we run away from the Bible. We run away from Bible studies and church. We say, I'm just not feeling it. That's the wrong answer. Go deeper. Dig into the truth and then the therefore and the change that comes along with it will follow. Look, this change will never seem natural at first. Anytime you think you know the right way to do something and somebody comes along and says, nah, there's a better way to do that, do you immediately respond, oh, thank you so much. This is so much better. No. Usually we say, oh, wait a minute, I've been doing it this way for a long time. It works just fine. Now, if that person doesn't know what they're talking about, it's offensive, isn't it? But what if that person is the one who created you? 
What if that person is the one who sent his son to die on a cross for you, who knows you better than you know yourself? And that person is saying, look, because of all I've done and all I am, live your life as a living sacrifice. Are you being changed by God's wisdom? Are you truly seeking to understand and be changed by the wisdom of God? Because God is at work in our lives. And it is a powerful thing to be changed by His wisdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we would know and accept the truth of that therefore of Romans 12.1. God, that we would, just as Paul did in those first 11 chapters of Romans, we would go deep in the Gospel, never settling for some surfacey understanding of Your truth. Never settling for just some trite sayings, but to truly know Your wisdom at work in this world. And Father, as we do that, may it not just be a subject of study or debate or discussion. May it not just be something we do to get candy or rewards in this world, but Father, may we run to You and say, Oh God, change me. Because I know in going my own way, I am so desperately lost. And Father, as we do that, may we hear the promise of the gospel that you have saved us. You are at work. You will never let us go. And we can trust in that as we're following you. And because of that security we have in you, we can wake up each and every day and say, I will live my life as a living sacrifice. Because this world can take nothing from me. May we bring you glory, Father. May we be changed by your profound wisdom. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.